Uh, I wonder, I don't know if you've ever had these moments. I, I was able to go this past week meet my dad and my three brothers and two of the three nephews for a Thomas uh, boys fishing trip in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, you've heard me talk about fishing in the Smoky Mountains before. If you haven't, then uh, uh, this catch you up. I do this regularly. But there are times when you're fishing in the Smokies or any uh, uh, river, uh, there are times where you ask yourself, how did I get myself into this position? Uh, Whether it is uh, hanging off of a ledge, knowing that that may be that river may be deeper than you think it is, but you don't, you can't go forward and you can't go backward and you're just stuck and you think, how did I get myself in this position? Uh, or you're stuck in the middle of the river and everything's raging and there's a deeper hole in front of you and a big boulder to the side of you and you can't really navigate yourself to the left or to the right. Jokers to the left of me, clowns to the right of me, here I am stuck in the middle again. And you wonder... <laughs> How in the world did I get myself in this position? As I was fishing and thinking that very thought, how did I get myself in this position? Uh, It led me later to think of a guy named Pinocchio. Have have you ever thought, all right, so Pinocchio is a puppet made totally of wood by Geppetto, his his maker, the marionette, whatever, the puppet maker. And and Pinocchio uh, wants to be a real live boy, but... Uh, He makes bad choices, a bad choice here and a bad choice there and a bad choice in another place. And eventually, Pinocchio ends up in the mouth of Monstro the Whale. And he's put in such a position that this puppet that is made only of wood decides it's a good idea to start a fire in the mouth of Monstro. Don't you know that there had to be a moment, if, if that wood had any clarity at all, that uh, there had to be a moment where Pinocchio said, how in the world did I get myself in this position? And uh, the truth is, we've all been there. We've all made one bad decision too many. Uh, we've all taken one step out of line too far. And we end up in a place that we don't want to be asking ourselves, how did I end up here? Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 5. We're looking at a man who ended up, and if he had moments of clarity at all by the time we get to him in Mark 5, he had to have asked himself, how did I end up here? And catch you up to this passage we're preaching through, looking, studying through Mark's gospel. And last week we saw Jesus take on a storm, and he spoke and the storm stopped. And he is Lord of creation, uh, who uh, has the authority to to tame the wind and the wave. And when they finally get to the other side, that's that's where we pick up this morning. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then they, they, being the disciples and Jesus, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when they come out of the boat, immediately they're met Jesus out of the tombs. So he's, this is a guy in a cemetery, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had been uh, often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. So this guy's a mess. 
Um, Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and bowed down to Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked the unclean spirit, what is your name? And the the guy answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are a big deal. Not really, for we are many. This reminds me of the the movie where the guy's, guys, it's a parody, and he says, do you know who I am? And the person he's talking to says, no, I really don't. And he said, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, Legion, we are many. Verse 10, uh, also the legion guy begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and all the demons begged Jesus, saying, send us out to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered entered the swine, and there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and were drowned. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and the one who had the legion. And he's sitting there and clothed and in his right mind, and the people were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about, uh, and about the pigs that died. Verse 17, then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when Jesus got in the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be able to be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all, uh, all that Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. So we look at this passage. This passage is um, um, one of those passages where you can get focused on the wrong thing. It's so easily uh, because we can get focused on the demons and thinking, well, what demons? And they're a a legion because we are many. What does that mean? It means that there were, you know, a legion had up to 6,000 people. Roman legion had up to 6,000 soldiers in it. Um, so, uh, Legion, that's a bunch. Uh, you can go back to, uh, movies that you have watched. Uh, back when I was a kid, there was only one that was out and that's called the exorcist. Now there's like every other movie has some sort of demon possession in it. Um, we can get so uh, focused on the demons that we miss the point. Um, Scripture does not, God has not placed this in Scripture so that we could see that there are demons. I think we know that already. God put this in Scripture so that we might see the authority of Jesus, not the power of demons. 
And God put this in it in Scripture so that he might, by his Spirit, apply to our lives this simple truth that Jesus, who is the Lord of the storm, who created all things and calmed the storm with a word, said, peace be still, and the raging wind stopped, and the waves stood still. That, that Jesus, who is Lord over creation, this is Jesus, the Lord, who is the Lord of hosts, the Holy One. Of God. This is Jesus the Lord who is stronger than the strongest enemy we will ever face. This is Jesus the Lord who defeats evil. There is no evil that is stronger than Jesus. There is no enemy that is more powerful than Jesus. If you get nothing else out of this passage, if you get nothing else this morning, understand. That if you are a son or a daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ, whatever enemy or foe or evil you might face has already been conquered by the power of Jesus Christ, our King. When we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed because Jesus defeats evil. He's already defeated evil. And the evil we face today, he can defeat. Quick word. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will never be demon-possessed. Yeah, ever. Ever. The spirit of God and the spirits of the, of the devil cannot coexist in the same place. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will never be demon-possessed, but you will be demon-oppressed. Here's why. Because we have an enemy who hates us. We have an enemy who hates us. When we see the demonic activity here, we need to understand that is a picture of a larger battle, larger focus, a larger, more uh, uh, time-consumed reality, and that is the devil himself hates humanity. He hates all humanity. He, He hates everyone that's been made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says that God made man and woman in his own image and likeness, and every human being has been created in the image and likeness of God. And so the devil hates everyone who's made in the image and likeness of God. But can I give you some more words? The devil especially hates those who are part of God's family, who by faith have trusted Jesus as the payment and his sacrifice as the payment for their sin, who've been by faith brought into God's family uh, and, and, and are now sons and daughters of God. Can I tell you, the devil especially hates us. The devil hates us. Here's how Jesus described the devil. In John 10, 10, he said that the devil is a thief who only wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the devil's operation. That's what the devil does. Steal, kill, and destroy. Peter described the devil like this, 1 Peter 5, 8. He said that the devil is a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. That's the devil. The devil is real and the devil is active. The devil is not some passive observer of what's happening in our world today, but he is an active initiator in our world today. The devil is our enemy and the devil hates us. The Apostle Paul described it this way in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He, he said, uh, 
Ephesians 6, 12, he, he, he said, uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen to that again. So, so here's our battle as followers of Jesus. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this dark age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So many of us, we like to say that the enemy is in Washington, D.C., or the enemy is in Richmond, or the enemy is the person who believes this, this ideology or the person who practices this cultural phenomenological thing. We, we like to identify our enemies with people that aren't like us or people don't, don't, don't believe like us, and we call them our enemy. Now, make no mistake, many of them are adversarial to uh, the way of Jesus Christ. Many of them are, 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 have a belief system that is absolutely contrary, and they fight against a belief uh, our belief system, which is consistent with the will of God. There are uh, people around us who um, are fighting tooth and claw against the things of God revealed in the word of God and espoused by the people of God. All that's true, but they are not our enemy. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. His name is the devil, old scratch, and he is the one who hates us, and we need to be clear about who our enemy is. We have an enemy, and his name is the devil, and he wants to destroy us. Look at what he did to this man in Mark chapter 5. You look at the description of this man, and you see how he was overwhelmed by the uh, uh, by the. Uh, horde of demonic activity so that he was swallowed up uh, by uh, 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 this um, evil. Hey, he was possessed by a bunch of demons. And you might say, well, demon possession doesn't really happen today. Oh, I, I'd say it does. I'd say it does. And you might say, well, well, I don't see it. Well, that's because devil's not a dummy. The devil's smart. If you've never read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, I invite you and encourage you and plead with you, please pick it up. It's a quick read and it's entertaining, but it also gives us deep insight, I believe, into the, uh, into the cunning nature of the devil who wants to destroy us. Uh, if we're in the modern age, we don't believe in demons. We don't believe in that kind of stuff. So what does the devil use? He doesn't have to use demons. He can use video games. Oh, he, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have to use demons. He can, he, he, he can use um, uh, booze. He doesn't have to use demons. He can, he can use a, 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 a television or streaming devices or TikTok or whatever. The devil's not confined to demons. The devil will use whatever he can to destroy you and me. We have an enemy who hates us. Now, the devil sent his minion uh, to uh, haunt and attack this man in the land of Gadara. And so he does. And, and these, this legion attacks him. Now, look at what the result is. The result is a guy who now is a mess in his isolation. 
He is not around anybody else. He can't be. He can be in the wilderness of the mountains or he can be in the graveyard the, the, among the tombs. He is a mess in isolation. He has no friends to hang out with. His family has abandoned him. They've given up on him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. He is a mess and he's isolated. He is a mess in his misery. Here's a guy who is so miserable that the scripture says in verse five, all night, all day, all the time, he is moaning in grief and agony and misery and cutting himself. He is a mess in his misery. He is a mess in his powerlessness. The description goes great pains to describe this guy in such a way that people have tried to chain him up to control him, to tame him. People have tried to bind him hand and foot to control him, to tame him. He's probably invited them to. It reminds me of the movies that depicted the werewolf, you know, the werewolf that would come out at night and and, the, and when, the, when the guy is sane before the full moon, he goes into the, to the dungeon and chains himself up so that he doesn't, he doesn't escape and hurt anybody. You know, that, that, that's, you know this is the way the guy was. I'm not saying he was a werewolf. He was demon-possessed. But let's not mix our metaphors here. But he was, he was in such a place that he wanted something to control him. But he was uncontrollable because the enemy is infinitely more powerful than you or me. Understand, this man was a mess in his powerlessness, in his misery, in his isolation, and that's exactly what the devil seeks to do to every human person in this place. Every single soul in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, every single person in a marriage or single in life, uh, before death, after marriage, it doesn't matter what your status understand the devil has one goal, and that is destroy you. We have an enemy who hates us. We have an enemy who hates us, and he's infinitely more powerful than we are. So many of us are trying to white-knuckle our, uh, white our way to happiness, white-knuckle our way out of misery, white-knuckle our way out of despair. So many of us trying to white-knuckle our way, do it ourselves, do it in our own strength. But here's the problem. The enemy hates us. He's more powerful than we, and he's employing his resources in a way that we cannot navigate. We are helpless in the face of the enemy. Happy Memorial Day. Yes, we have an enemy that hates us. And if we were just to stop there, oh, misery for us. But we got some good news to share. See, the key of this passage is not that we have an enemy that hates us. That's not even the focus of this passage. It's the truth that's in this passage that we have an enemy that hates us, and he is infinitely stronger than, than we do, but we also have a rescuer. His name is Jesus, and Jesus is infinitely stronger than the one who is infinitely stronger than us. We need to understand that Jesus is infinitely stronger than every enemy we face, and if we are connected to him, then we are are blessed today the scripture over and over and over again they say 365 times I don't know if that's true but that's what they say other preacher guys like I like I am they'll say 
There are 365 times that the Bible says, do not fear, don't be afraid. Do not fear, don't be afraid. And usually there is another little addition to that. Don't be afraid for I am with you. When we are connected with the you in that passage, we don't have to be afraid of any enemy, no matter how strong. We have Jesus, and he is infinitely stronger than our enemy. We need to understand this passage bleeds with the truth that Jesus was sent by God the Father from the throne of heaven on a mission of love so that he might defeat evil that is defeating us so that he might provide for us a pathway of victory in everyday life through fellowship with the Father fitted for his family, living in intimacy and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus came on a mission to change the trajectory of eternity for you and for me. Where the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus has come, John 10, 10, that I might give them life and give them life that is abundant. John 3, 16, Jesus came on a mission of love to give us life that is eternal. Jesus has come to erase the darkness and the despair and the disease of the demonic evil that is against us and replace it with the light of his love that pours out life to you and me so that we can live in the meaning and the purpose beyond the mess of our sin, beyond the mess of our enemy. We can live with purpose and joy and hope and peace when we connect with the King of glory, Jesus Christ, the one. And you and I, you, you and I, we want it. We do. We want it. We want to get beyond the mess. You look at verse 15. I'm skipping a lot, but Jesus encountered the demons and he cast them out. They came, they raced to him, they bowed before him because they knew he was stronger than they were. They tried to pay, play a power game. Uh, what have you to do with us, O Holy One of God? There's the idea that if, if the demons mention the name of Jesus that, that give identity, that, that it would be some sort of power move against Jesus. Um, kind of like uh, when I was a kid, my mom would say, Eric John Thomas. When I was really young, I changed my name in eighth grade. For, it's not a joke, it's true. My, I was born with John Eric Thomas. And in eighth grade, I changed it to Eric John Thomas because, you know, I'm weird. But, but, uh, even after eighth grade, if I was really in trouble, mom would use John Eric Thomas. Um, Dad wouldn't use my name, he'd just say boy. <laughs> but it kind of, so that power move, saying the name, you know, it, it kind of felt like that here, maybe. But regardless, they knew that they were toast. The demons knew that they were toast. They were in presence of the Holy One of God, right? They knew that they were toast. They knew that they were no match to the one who had the power of God because he is God himself. And, and so as they are toast, they, they, uh, they, they beg Jesus, don't, don't send us away uh, out of the region, but rather just, just put us in a herd of pigs. And, and Jesus said, okay, I'll put you in a herd of pigs. And, and then the pigs ran off the the cliff and, and all died. And so the demons, we don't know what happened to them because I'm not a demonology expert. Uh, and, and I don't encourage you to be either. 
Can I give you just, after the first service, somebody came up and said, I really appreciate you talking about the devil. And I said, well, I try not to. He's a loser. He's already lost. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. As long as we're connected to Jesus. We, we, we don't have to be afraid of the devil. As long as we're connected to Jesus. So I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time focusing on the devil. I don't encourage you to focus a lot of your time on the devil. I know it may sound like fun and it's, it's neat to go through demonology and, 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 oh, the devil does this and the devil does that. And the, stop. Focus on what Jesus does. Because he's the pathway. He's the pathway to a life filled with victory and hope and joy. All right, so... Um, I don't have a lot of time, but let me just kind of leave you with some thoughts here. So the man, verse 15, who was a mess in his isolation, he was a mess in his misery, he was a mess in his uh, powerlessness, helplessness. Verse 15 says that the, the townspeople came and they got to where this guy was, and it says the man formerly known as demon-possessed, it says that three or four times, the man formerly known as demon-possessed, the man who once was demon-possessed was sitting at rest. That's what sitting means. It means at rest. Here's the guy who was a mess. Now he's at rest. He's sitting at rest. The man who was consumed so that demons spoke instead of he spoke. The man who was so filled with misery, crying out all night, all day, throughout the day, all the time, cutting himself because of such misery in his life. He was at rest and he was, in, he was clothed. He no longer running around in shame, by the way, being naked in that culture um, should be in this culture as well, but especially in that culture, being naked in public spheres was a shame. It, it was shameful. And so the, the, the man was, was living in shame physically. Now he's clothed. He's no longer under the condemnation of who he used to be as a mess. Now he's clothed and he's in his right mind. The mess now has meaning. The mess now has community. The mess now has a new life. We've seen what, Jesus, what, what the devil does. Now focus on what Jesus does. And we read this a minute ago. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? This is our story. We were dead in our sin and trespass in which we once walked according to the course of this world. That's demon stuff. According to the prince of the power of the air, who now works among the sons of disobedience. That's devil stuff. Among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That is living among the dead people because you're dead on the inside. That is living in misery. That, that, that's being consumed by darkness. But God. But 
God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you. Even when you were dead in your sin and trespasses, made you alive together in Christ Jesus by grace, you've been saved. Now, if that's your testimony, live that testimony. If that's your word, live that word. If, if that's what Jesus has done for you, live it out. Stop looking for other things to satisfy the yearning of your soul. You've already got everything you need to satisfy the yearning of your soul. His name is Jesus. Cling to him. Cling to him. If you're going to find blessing, take hold of Jesus, who is the source of blessing. Take hold of him. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I beg you, please don't live in the graveyard anymore. Run to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sin through his death on the cross as payment for your sin. Ask him to give you a new heart, a new mind, a new life through his resurrection from the dead. Run to Jesus and be saved, be rescued. Take hold of Jesus. Take hold of blessing. The second thing I would say from this passage is not only do we take hold of Jesus, take hold of blessing, but also, man, you got to live the mission. You, you, you got to live the mission. Oh, by the way, uh, verses 14 through 17 tells the story of the region that Jesus uh, healed this demoniac from, and they knew the demoniac. They were friends and family of the demoniac, and they had seen him. They'd, they're the ones who had the keys to the shackles that he broke. They come to the demoniac, and they say, um, what happened? And they tell him, and they then, verse, verse 17, they asked Jesus to leave. What's up, with, what's up with that? They asked Jesus to leave. The guy who defeated the enemy who was defeating them, they asked him to leave? And as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know, that really is the story of humanity. Now, Jesus is the only one who can give life and purpose and meaning. He's the only one who can forgive sin and make us fit for God's family. He's the only one that can build the bridge between sinners like you and me and a holy God. And yet, after doing all that work in your life and mine, our neighbors and our friends say, please stop talking about Jesus. Please go away. We don't want to do, have anything to do with Jesus anymore. It's what we see in John 1, verse 11. John 1, 11 uh, says that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And, that, I, and that's, that's sad news, but it's bad news, but it's true news. Jesus comes to a lot of people, and a lot of people say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. John 1, 12 says, but... As many as received him, to as many as believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. You, 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 want, you want to tell your friends and neighbors about Jesus. Some will reject him, but then some will accept him. When, uh, when Jesus is getting back in the boat, verse 18 through 20, and I'm going to talk about this Wednesday night, this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock online if you want to get online and and, and, and look at it, but um, uh, 
the man who is formerly demon-possessed goes to Jesus and says, please, can I be with you? The language is so specific. He said, I just want to be in your presence. I want to breathe the same air you're breathing. I, don't, I, I want your dust, to, uh, the dust on your feet to be the same dust on my feet. I want to be with you. You are my life. My very, by the way, that's the discipleship stuff that we need to take hold of. I want to be with you. I, I, I want, Jesus, I, I need I need the air that you breathe to be the air that I breathe, that, that I am so connected to you that I find blessing even in the misery of, of, of my days. You see how Jesus responded, verse 19. He said, he said no, you can't come with me. You can't be with me. But here's what you do. You see it? Go to your friends. Go to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Yeah, that's our mission. That's your mission. That's my mission. I know we do things like three circles and, and the bridge illustrations and, and four spiritual laws and all that kind of stuff, training how to share our faith. But just start here. Can I tell you what God has done for me? How he's been so gracious to me. Can I tell you how he's blessed me? I want you to understand. You go to your friends, go to your family, go to your coworkers, go to your classmates, go to your neighbors. You tell them what God has done for you, the great things that he's done for you, how he's had compassion on you. And they will be in awe. Verse 20. They will marvel. All, all we have to do is tell them. Look, I am blessed beyond measure because... I was wicked and hateful and ugly in my heart. I was a sinner, unfit for God's family. I was religious so that I looked okay, but my heart was as black as death. But God loved me enough to send Jesus to die for my sin and be raised so that I could have a chance at life and forgiveness. Oh, I'm blessed not because of any work that I've done. I'm blessed because Jesus has done all the work that I need to bring me into God's family. I, I have a new life. The darkness that once swallowed me whole has been dissipated by the light of Jesus Christ. I am new. I am brand new. But it doesn't stop there. I'm blessed. I am blessed because I walk with Jesus every day. You know what he did? Good gracious, do you know what he did? He led me to a woman whose name is Edie. And she has loved me with the love of Jesus. Even when I'm most unlovable. She has been faithful and true and compassionate and caring and concern, mobilizing our four daughters at times 
to check on their daddy to make sure he's okay. Oh, I'm blessed. Because Jesus also not only led me to a wife who's changed my life, but he's given my wife and me four daughters. Four daughters who are treasures to our soul. Four daughters who we are determined, whatever it takes, we will go bankrupt for them. And given two of our daughters, sons-in-law, who chase after Jesus and long to honor their wives. He's given us two granddaughters, Lucy and Nora, who somehow spark even greater joy than we even knew before. Oh, I'm blessed. But more than that, God's given me a family called First Norfolk. He's allowed me to be with you and you with me. Through thick and thin, ups and downs, good and bad times, through pandemics and problems, through joyful celebrations, he's allowed us to be together, learning from each other. You've been patient with me. You've watched me grow. You've encouraged me. Good gracious, I'm blessed because the Lord of love was sent on a mission of love to connect with a sinner like me and like you. And when we are connected with Jesus, we're blessed. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we close out the message today, the service today, I invite you to consider where you stand in relationship with God. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come to Christ, uh, to, to, to cry out to him, oh, oh Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm not connected to you. Will you forgive my sin? Will you apply your death on the cross as payment for my sin debt? And your resurrection as the power of a new life for me, will you, will you rescue me today? If you are connected to Jesus through faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you is to connect with him. There is no fear, no enemy that can spark fear in the heart of Jesus. So the enemies that spark fear in our heart, let's cling to Jesus and find courage from him. Let's hold on to him. Every day, just cling to him. And let he, let, let Jesus be your strength and your hope and your confidence. At Ephesians 6, 10, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not strong in yourself. Strong in the Lord. So today I invite you to cling to Jesus.
take hold of him. Connect with him. Stay connected. Father, I pray that you would hold us close to yourself as you speak your truth to us. I pray that as we sing these songs of praise, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would spark in our hearts the response that you desire for us to make. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray.